Welcome to the Builders Podcast, episode 19. Get to know Shomo Ganguly, business consultant, business models. Thanks for listening today, Builders Crew. My name is Matt Levenhagen, your host. The Builders Podcast is designed for those that are building stuff on the web. Whether that's building a business, an agency, building teams, building products, services, or building websites, if it's related to building something, it's fair game. Some of our episodes are solo, where I just step you through various topics that I have experience with or want to share. Others will include guests or friends that share their experience, like we're doing today. You can check out past podcasts, future ones, and my blog at mattlevenhagen.com. With that, thanks for joining me once again. Let's introduce my guest a little bit here. I'm going to give you a little background. Now, Shomo is somebody that I know through other people, uh, but we've become friends over the last couple of years, chatting and had some good conversations with him, hanging out on LinkedIn and stuff like that. In this episode, we're actually going to talk uh, a lot about really dig into um, the history, you know, how he uh, became a consultant, where he comes from, his roots back in India, and how he found his way to America in the United States and started working here, and that transition he had to becoming a consultant a few years back, and why he did that, how that happened, what he provides now. And then we dig into uh, kind of his expertise, his specialty, which is really business models and how he looks at them, what framework he uses to help people with their businesses and stuff like that. So it's it's just a really, really great conversation. I really enjoyed my time with him and I know you will too. Let's dive in. Hello, everybody. So I am here with Shomo. Hello. The, the way I know Shomo is actually through another guest of mine, uh, Doland. I think that's when I first, I think he introduced us originally uh, when we worked yeah. at a different company. And yes. yeah, and then uh, you popped up in my email one day. I think you is when we did the Doland uh, podcast. I think you mm-hmm. commented on it and you were right. excited about that. And for some reason, we decided to talk. And next thing you know, we're doing a podcast which is yeah it is quite interesting like like the in fact like i have been following you uh, since uh, you were in your earlier uh, one of your earlier jobs and and mm-hmm. you took over the hexeter product and and uh, so but it has been interesting and then when you branched out onto your on your own uh, you have been we connected on linkedin yeah. and it was i think a natural like it the the conversation evolved to where we are today yeah. And which is always a good thing, and and it's it doesn't sort of a a, a forced uh, position where people are said, hey, you go and talk to that person, right, right, <laughs> so and organically, naturally, just evolve exactly, good. exactly, good, yeah. So I mean, we we've obviously talked uh, a bunch already, and um, I'm really fascinated by your background. I think uh, as people will find out, um, you're doing consulting now. Right. And, exactly. And uh, helping people with their businesses or products, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, stuff mm-hmm. like that. What I think I, I'll just turn it over to you now. If you, you want to talk a little bit about your background, like where you are from originally and, yes. and how you ended up where you are today and the successes you've had along the way or maybe failures. Yeah. Um, so we always learn more from our failures than successes, right? Like true, true. the true. successes lull us into a sense of invincibility. 
and and failures where are where uh, you you really learn yeah. uh, like a lot of the uh, recently there was this quote uh, which i suddenly see a lot of people quoting is either you win or you learn and uh, so even right. if you don't win you learn and then that's important and uh, i was like talking about learning i was taught by uh, christian brothers uh, from dublin and i uh, interestingly this was thousands and thousands of miles out away from uh, new jersey where i am located now mm-hmm. um, this was in a uh, in a town um, as per us standards it would be a city uh, as per indian standards it was really a, a smallish town uh, a very industrial town um, a lot of railways steel mining that was the environment over there and uh, it was about uh, 100 200 kilometers so i guess 160ish miles from calcutta now when growing up like we didn't even have uh, newspapers at the uh, at uh, in the morning like the newspapers would come in from calcutta in the middle of the day so uh, a lot of the perspectives um, were shaped and and taught by uh the folks in school my teachers the christian brothers uh, and uh, being an industrial town um we had uh, we had people from all over the country in india um we uh, like there were a number of languages people spoke around me in the classroom of 36 students was great and it was not only like we also had chinese uh, immigrants to india we had uh, parsis which who are like originally from iran mm. uh, so we we had quite a a, a cross culture so mm. this awareness that uh, uh, that people are are there are all sorts of people with all sorts of backgrounds um, is came very naturally to me at a very young age and i was fortunate uh, to have received uh, to be in that space and the christian brothers provided a i guess the a very secular uh, learning environment uh, to to me to all the students over there that has served me very well so when i when i had the opportunity to land up in the us uh, in philadelphia in 1996 uh, i had already uh, been in uh, pricewaterhouse at that time and um, for a, for a few years uh, and had been had also widened my my uh, views to um, not only like uh, cultures within india but outside india because pricewaterhouse as one of the partners called it was uh, not a multinational uh, firm but a transnational firm mm. uh, so it, it gave me an opportunity of of speaking meeting with uh, uh, all sorts of people including like when i was a uh, uh, in back in my grade school uh, there was this rotary uh, team club team um, there was someone from dallas someone from so there there were all sorts of people that i got introduced to a rotary team in rotary club uh, really? had brought in a, a team of uh, visitors guests from the us to yeah. uh, okay. and and that was my my first like the the irish christian brothers were were like well normal uh, 
people to encounter for me but mm. these were like exotic <laughs> people <laughs> from from across the atlantic and and, and so yeah. so um, 96 was when i i first came to this country and and that's where i i started seeing uh, i got sensitive to the difference between um, uk english and us english mm. and and the subtleties the subtle differences of of what people said meant and and signals uh, and and that that was a excellent learning for me so did um, you, before you came over did so like when you're still in india you learned english in school and stuff but yeah just, so you know, uh, from from grade school my the medium of instruction was english so india has like the scheduled languages in india are over 20 so any act of parliament or even a currency bill has has uh, so many languages on it saying it's a 10 rupee 10 rupee 10 rupee in all those languages mm-hmm. so it's it's um, uh, and uh, one of the things which uh, which because of the british rule um for a couple of 100 uh, years right. english has become a base language where everyone understands in in india Okay. the way it is spoken is different like the accents are very different and not only the accents uh, and indian english sort of has evolved with borrowing like you have this concept of commonwealth english so there is uh, where wherever the british went uh, english took roots and and acquired the flavor of the local population or local languages so it wasn't very difficult to to uh, be understood or or communicate the thing where uh, it took takes everyone who comes from outside um, the the us or anywhere else is the the small talk the the idiom which is sure. which is very local and and it yeah. has uh, we uh, i still don't understand uh, baseball i still yeah. don't understand football i understand soccer but right. i don't understand football <laughs> so there are things which i which i don't understand 96 to 1980 um, uh, or rather ni- 96 uh, 1996 to 2008 this was a period where i where i went back and forth like i i have lived here in the us in various cities a few times for 3 months five uh, four months on various types of work permits and visas and then i uh, by that time in 2005 i joined cognizant which is a new jersey based tnet based organization um, and off- which came uh, which was founded as an offshoot of dun and brad street mm-hmm. uh, has a super strong presence in india and is essentially like cognizant is essentially an it services outsourcing firm and i i had uh, left ibm and joined um uh, cognizant in in 2005 and 2008 was when they transferred me to the us so where does ibm come in where where you were working at so ibm pwc i i so i have been in the business environment since 1984 when i got into a, my accounting um uh, life so i was a student of statistics who went into accounting who um, hated that accounting thing yeah. for a few years and and then 
went into um, uh, consulting mm-hmm. and uh, it was a it was an overlap between uh, functional knowledge financial knowledge financial processes and uh, and software so that's where they wanted someone who could speak both the languages um, and uh, that's how i went into pricewaterhouse uh, i ran away from pricewaterhouse uh, so 96 when i came here uh, my first visit to the us i had come for an sap certification 99 was when i i ran away from pwc came over to the us uh, uh, that was a very bad year for erp so i went back picked up a job with sap uh, in sap consulting eventually um, figured out uh, uh, a known devil is better than an unknown friend and then returned to mm. pwc then mm. um pricewaterhouse coopers was acquired by uh, the management consulting services portion of that business was acquired by ibm okay. that's when i transitioned into ibm and the time when i transitioned Uh, i was i was the project manager in a peoplesoft implementation in toyota and 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 that was like that was one of those interesting projects where there were bunch of uh, challenges um a very bad press in terms of within the firm um mm-hmm. uh, there were all sorts of uh, conflicts um interest groups Uh, so i ended up in a situation where i was uh, there was pwc global uh, so a partner from uh, the us pwc australia uh, peoplesoft us and india uh, toyota uh, india and japan so there were all sorts of audiences who got yeah. involved and and that was a very very interesting project in terms of how to manage stakeholders and and stuff sure so so the 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 that exposure like the the project exposure and stuff had given me a lot of uh, insights like you learn from as i said you learn from your mistakes takes and you learn from the difficult things so uh, and if you have your eyes and ears open you learn from the the organizations that you work for uh, so ibm was a was an organization which was a lot of people said it was an ocean and uh, i thought like that wasn't the the best description because yes it was huge yeah. it was humongous but at the same time what really mattered was the extreme complexity with scale comes complexity which we we don't often realize like uh, how to organize the simplest things become so that classical thing of uh, two people one handshake three people so many handshakes mm-hmm. and and the the thing only increases geometrically mm-hmm. as you as the number of people uh, increases so that's something which which uh, got me very interested in how organizations were structured how uh, ibm came out with something called a component business model how and it sort of got me a preview of uh, how not only like when you are implementing erp 
you are willingly uh, thrust into an environment where you look at how uh, one business function uh, speaks to another business function, how one process speaks to business process, another process. What's and the, you start... What's ERP? Uh, Enterprise-wide resource planning. So, uh, so which are the PeopleSoft, Oracle, okay. SAP uh, softwares, um, okay. enterprise-wide resource. So, <laughs> the, 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 yeah, there are lots of acronym, acronyms are, are funny things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was, it was that, that's where I, it became very interesting to me how to break down complex structures into into smaller units, mm, right. and and uh, when I I moved away from IBM, and and that has a story in itself because with the acquisition uh, of uh, PwC by IBM, we were rebadged and we never got comfortable. Like it was a difficult transition for both the organizations. Mm -hmm. uh, if you speak with people who were in IBM. Uh, who were referred to as true blue at that time, uh, they would have like horror stories about how PwC guys were uh, and, and PwC uh, consultants would, because it was a very different culture. It was a very different mindset. So uh, whenever there is an acquisition merger of mindsets, it's, it takes a lot of time. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. It's yeah. Trying to blend yeah. that all together. Yeah. And, and in, in this process, like, so uh, when I, when I quit uh, IBM, I joined Cognizant and, and at that time, like I was, so it took about nine years for, I think, Cognizant and me to finally call it quits. Okay. Now, <laughs> I, I tried, I, uh, both of, both these, like both me and, and the organization tried looking for things and then somehow it it didn't sort of gel mm -hmm. um, in, in uh, so in 2013 um, I had this conversation with my physician who told me um, he prescribed a change in job. And uh, that was like, I had, I had come to this realization some years back that uh, my purpose in life had become making anonymous shareholders or business owners richer, like already rich shareholders richer. And so in early in my career, it was all about solving problems. Then it became solving problems for the people I was seated across the table from. And then when it degenerated into that sort of a, realization it didn't sit well for me um, so that's when i i decided that it was it was time um, and i i am fond of saying that like finally i pushed myself off the ledge uh, <laughs> like that india jones movie i stepped out onto the bridge of faith mm -hmm. to cross the chasm that's not an, not an easy thing to do i mean here you right right and all of a sudden you're right. just going out on your own good right Ooh. and before i can talk about like why i moved into small business uh, there's something which i need to revisit which has relevance um 
in cognizant um, <clears throat> i one of the things which uh, so i attended a a one day workshop by um, by zackman and zackman has this thing called the enterprise framework so mm-hmm. zackman's framework is uh, is uh, is one of those india's industry standards frameworks for enterprise business architecture and he who, who, he breaks down not to cut you off but who's who's zackman exactly he he is, is he is if you if you look up i forget the his first name i shouldn't but uh, but he has this uh, uh, this uh, uh, he he uh, uh, early in his life he he had been earlier in his life he had been an interestingly uh, an ibm employee Okay. and and um, one of the things which he which he came up with was how to map uh, a physical organization like a, a the physical enterprise um, and uh, with all the things which were happening over there uh, so he came up with a framework which was uh, like a matrix okay. the columns were more or less are like the who where what how so okay. um, the people the processes uh the objectives the data the, why they take decisions mm-hmm. <clears throat> i think i, I think the, i found him here is his, his name john right. zackman john zackman right yeah. right and and uh, the, his framework like the it's a very convenient tool whenever there is a, a merger or an acquisition or even when a when a business is trying to reengineer and reengineer itself mm-hmm. uh, especially when it is a largish Uh, organization which has uh, which has a sprawl like which has grown over the years it's very helpful to to look at that view right uh, so that's that's one of the things also which which stayed in my mind mm-hmm. as as things which i picked up and learned and and i'll i'll get to uh, the relevance of it in a in a minute mm-hmm. so when i quit uh, finally when i moved out of my corporate life and i i asked myself this question okay i want to be helpful and 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 then the question was to whom mm. and and how uh, so the statistics which spoke to me spoke out to me was um there a lot of the, a lot of businesses go out of business in the third to seventh year of their life yes yeah. and uh, i thought with my background of um, and and these businesses typically wouldn't have the the funds to to hire a big five consultant to help them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, i i had that experience and uh, and uh, fortunately i had had also a lot of challenges failures in life which made me learn a lot of things sure and also was able to map it to the successes that i have had mm-hmm. and so it was a situation where i thought like i could be helpful to these people to these businesses so these are your so your going from the mindset of like enterprise giant businesses to helping smaller or medium sized businesses is that hard to scale up like these ideas and these concepts is that hard to remold for somebody that 
is less complicated, less complex? Extremely, extremely hard. Yeah. The, the reason is like, uh, it is not only the, the, the application or the, or the challenges that they have are very different. Mm-hmm. Um, the large enterprise, they don't normally have funding problems, right? It's a question of decision on uh, discretionary funding funds being allocated to certain projects. Sure. Uh, Very different. Yeah. Cognizant, for example, had tons of cash reserves. So, so it was a case of building up a, it was a matter of building up a business case for funds to be allocated. Here, you don't have the funds at all. In, in that situation, you have um, a short term versus long term is more of a strategic decision. Here, like if you if you don't think long term, you will perish eventually. But in order to be there for next year, you have to be alive tomorrow, the day after, next week, next month, That's next right. quarter. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not a question of long term or short term. It's a question of short term and long term. So, so the the things are very different. There's also a a difference in um, like it, because of the lack of funds, uh, there has uh, business owners can't afford to, uh, or they feel that they can't afford to spend on strategy. What they, what I think they don't realize is strategy is not strategic thinking is not really a matter of time or funds, it is a mindset and a, a, a set of decisions that they need to take. So decision-making doesn't take really much time. You, the, the environment which allows the business owner the mindset to create, make that decision is what the challenge is. So, um, Anyway, what has been uh, for me, this transition has been like uh, working with a team to working alone, uh, working from corporate to uh, a short, uh, to a smaller type of an environment. Mm -hmm. So I have had to unlearn a lot of things and learn uh, a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And in this process, when I, when I talk to, business owners or when I, when I'm consulting for them, um, I do, I do a lot of, uh, I do some coaching, business coaching, business consulting. I work with the small business development center. So I had to be able to find a tool which would help me collapse the complexity into a simpler uh, framework, Mm -hmm. but which would also allow me to, to expand it like an accordion, like if you can blow it out or, or collapse it. Sure. Uh, and that's where the, the Zach Penn framework like uh, experience sort of, I, I started looking for something and I ended up in what is called the business model canvas. And so if you look at a business and try to break it down into uh, the smaller elements. 
so that one can figure out holistically what are the areas where one to, one has to focus on or or work upon that's a very uh, interesting tool to look at yeah uh, and and it, it, and it seems like it's a very important tool for business owners because i think it's very easy to get like i know as a business owner i'm i'm doing so many different things it's really easy uh-huh. to get just caught up in one area or just uh-huh. Focus on a product or a service, or just doing this or doing. But you're not. Uh-huh. You always got to also be thinking about strategy and thinking about, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, marketing and all the other things that uh-huh. go along with that. So yeah. Uh-huh. 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 So and and the other day we were talking about this where, when we get into business, we get into what we are passionate about, mm-hmm. and what we what we know. and uh, from a business modeling perspective a business for it to be successful needs nine elements to function properly and knowledge or rather resources skills is one of those elements so there are there are eight other elements which you need to take care of for a business to go from an idea to a successful implementation mm-hmm. uh, and and the the whole thing about so the idea to an implementation has uh, if, if the way uh, i have come to to appreciate it or or understand it is there are uh, two two distinct phases the ideation phase as it is called is called is labeled as customer development by um by steve blank uh, steve blank is one of the thought leaders uh, entrepreneurs he has authored a lot, lot of books he, he he has influenced the lean startup uh, methodology that uh, startups use okay and yeah. and that is also i have realized that it is just not the startups but also small businesses who can equally use a lot of the approaches and tools mm-hmm. even though the fundamental difference between building a startup and and uh, and a traditional uh, business uh, is just that in one case the business model has not been tested at all and in the other case there are successful business models which exist based on that idea yeah but for well, the yeah, that, yeah go ahead um so this is an interesting i was actually just having this thought the other day about startups mhm you hear so much about startups 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 yes yes i'm like i don't from my business because the kind of a model already existed out there for i you know you, you look around like other people are doing this Uh-huh. and i know i can do it this is what i'm passionate whatever you know uh-huh. but uh-huh. but as far as like was i a startup at any point like what do you how do you define a startup and you're kind of hitting on that a little bit correct like, correct it's it's so, where you haven't actually tested anything or you're this is brand new and and a brand new idea you're you don't even know what the market is yet or or whatever you're right right something. yeah right so so the the way i i think the the word startup has 
has reached its currently understood sort of um, nuance are from uh, tech startups in the Silicon Valley, mm. right? That's where startup startup things happened, and and people thought like they would. So with the advent of the dot coms, uh, the it was suddenly something new, something disruptive, right. uh, which would happen, and it was being called a startup. And there's a lot and of fund, there's a lot of funding involved. There funding too. involved. And and also you hear the terms of incubators and accelerators, mm -hmm. which uh, build up that ecosystem around that new idea, right? Which accelerated to either a success or a failure, so that they can fail fast and not drag the whole thing uh, mm -hmm. uh, forward, right? So the fundamental difference between uh, I, I think the the what startup as we know it and uh, new business as an SBDC would define it is that whether this idea, so a new restaurant is not a startup, but the concept of a ghost restaurant is a startup concept where it is the, it is a time the the whole model of feeding people at a facility where people come in they have an experience, go away, they come hungry, they go away satisfied, is a restaurant. Right. But the ghost restaurant does not really get people into their door. They're always, always delivering. So it's a commercial kitchen plus. So so it is it's another step away from a, just a takeout restaurant. Right. So uh, so if you have a restaurant, a takeout, and a ghost restaurant. So you always had uh, the yellow cabs type checker cabs and then, and then came Uber. You, that new idea was an offshoot of an older idea. So it's a, even a traditional business can become a startup if they are trying to disrupt the market enough sure. to be in a realm where it has not been done before. Okay. So that's kind of really the where uh, the heart of the definition is, is something brand new, something that isn't, Yes. Is, maybe it can be, maybe they can be inspired by something, but it's this new spin on it. New spin on it. Yeah. And from an, from a, at, from an engineer's perspective, like as an engineer, we would want it, like this definition is, is a bit of an, like the, the definition that we spoke about is a bit of an art. Like to convert it to a like a more science type of a definition, the business model uh, incorporated or or a, there's a BMI labs in the in UK. They use something like the business model canvas. It's just that it is a they call it the, a golden triangle with a with a node extra node sort of in the center. So there are four nodes which roughly can be expanded to the nine nodes of uh, nine elements of the business model canvas. They say that if you take those four nodes and if you can disrupt two of them, then you you have a disruptive, you know, like if you can change two of them, sure. then you have a disruption. And, and that's a that's a closer thing to a startup. So if you take mm -hmm. if you take an existing business model and you can you can turn up and 
at least two major components of the model in a in a four component setup then you you have a business case for a for a startup or a or a disruption in the in the market okay that makes uh, sense yeah. that that is that is a, a another way of uh, of looking at it and when you have a startup and and this is i think true even for a traditional business model where you open up a restaurant in a particular location right you don't say that who's your customer you don't say anyone who's hungry you try to say that okay i am an italian uh, fine dining uh, restaurant who will serve this type of a menu or you would say i am a fried chicken uh, out uh, outlet and mm-hmm. and i'll do this or a pizzeria so each of these have different types of clientele and and stuff so it's just not anyone who's hungry right, right. so the the concept of mapping uh, your value to a customer segment exists whether it is a startup or whether it is a restaurant uh, it, it is a new new business the mechanism to map it becomes a shade easier perhaps in the later case or it may not be given where it is and and stuff the the validation of the idea might be a shade simpler because of existing data right but whether that data is relevant to that business or not is is anyone's guess and, and validation is a very important component here is a very important component and the the way i look at it or or the way people uh, have defined it and i i uh, am comfortable with that journey is when you are having when you b- are building up a business you have initially you have like a a problem solution fit where you you figure out whether you have you you are solving a problem big enough in the marketplace mm-hmm. then you have a product market fit or a service market fit where you are deciding okay i have a solution but whether people are are willing to buy my service or product at the price i want them to buy it at and and once you have gone past that you reach a business model fit where it is more about sustainability creating uh, cash flow creating reserves creating Uh, a long term profit right and that earlier de- thing about businesses going out of business in the third to seventh year of their life my theory is that you can keep it at a hobby level and and still be obstinate and then go on with it for about 3 years and so if you don't have a problem solution fit beyond 3 years it will not really survive within the next few years you are trying out different pricing models and and stuff to see whether there is enough volume of the business so you are really working on that product market fit yeah and if it survives that then it hits the next phase where you are really looking at the entire business model so that business going out of business in the third to fifth or third to seventh year of their life is really about like whether they are able to tide over the first two stages so you're of, really not, you're not thinking about the whole model at first you're thinking about just getting that market 
product market. Correct. Correct. In the beginning, just because I feel like you know, I'm go, going through that with my own business is testing a lot of different ideas and and uh, seeing what's working, what's not working, and trying to get through that phase, and then start to when it starts to click, and then you start to scale up a little bit and and uh, start thinking even more, you know, broader and. Uh, thinking about more about strategy and what you're doing, marketing, all that stuff. And, and uh, that's interesting. When you begin, you kind of keep it a little simpler then. Right, right. You, you, in the beginning, you are just trying to make sure that you are, you are trying to solve the right problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So in the first year of my business, when I moved over from corporate life to, to consulting, for the first year, I made a grand total of $4. Right, so, so, and it was. That was a negative that I, word, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so it was. Or somebody it, else, money. <laughs> yeah, no, it, this is a. It is a grand total of revenue. Like so, it is actually a, a lot of negative figures over there. So, with and and while you are in that testing out phase, you are really relying on funds, whether it is your funds or whether. It's friend family yeah. funds. I mean, that's, right. so, that's interesting. I think about this a lot too, as I talk to other freelancers or agency or anybody that would be uh, thinking about uh, building a business that in the beginning, it's, it's not just there like overnight. It's not just going to click. I'm like, I, even I had, I, in every situation, you're either going to have to fund yourself, bootstrap yourself, uh-huh. or, or you're going to have to do something else while you're building it. Correct. And a lot of people Correct. do that too, where they're okay. I'm going to stay mm-hmm. at my corporate job until I get this going, mm-hmm. and then you know. Mm-hmm. 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 And that. I could have afforded to do that only because, like, I had been working with Cognizant. Mm-hmm. I had a good pay over there, like, ir- irrespective of what I felt and and what I thought about that job, it was paying me quite well, mm-hmm. and I had some stocks, which also sold at a very good rate, yeah. and. Um, and and so I I was able to build up some some way to sustain my my way of life, and uh, in order to be able to take this risk. Yeah, um, I mean, you you leverage something, so it's like you have to save for a few years, and or you you uh-huh. know kind of build a little nest egg that you can use to now uh, take the risk and and try this uh-huh. idea. Yeah. And when it comes to validation, uh, what I what I think is what we there are various ways to validate the idea. There's uh, the best way to validate an idea is to get paying clients. Uh, if people are willing to sign up for a service with an advance payment, that's the the best way to. So even if it is a, like a Kickstarter project with where people are paying money to to buy their product when it comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or fund a, a project which is which is a milestone in the journey to that final product. That's that's a level of validation. Even though that's like if you are looking at crossing, uh, looking at it from the early adopters' perspective, you will get the early adopters over there, which does not necessarily translate into um, the customer base. But yeah. but that's better than not having. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, and, and, it, and you can use, apply this to products or services or like, you know, from, you know, the experiences I've had, like selling WordPress themes, uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh-huh. we validated the heck out of that, making sure uh-huh. that what we were doing 
um, there was a, somebody out there was willing to pay us for that. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. to this day, I'm still surprised when a new sale comes in. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> st- uh-huh. I feel like I'm still a little on the validation side of that. Uh-huh. It does the same with services. So I have this idea, like to use an example, like I have this idea about providing maintenance uh-huh. to websites, to clients, you know, and right. you know, right. I had this idea for a very long time, but nobody uh-huh. bid on it or whatever you want to say. No uh-huh. one, no uh-huh. one took, took me up on it, but then somebody did. Uh-huh. And, and then it's like, well, that's kind of a, but when you get another one that does it now, it's like, Oh, and you kind of can leverage experience from the last one to say, okay, or you need to shape, kind of start to shape your services. And, and they were really focused on this. Maybe other people will be, you know, so it's like, this, right. it's, it's kind of, a it evolves over time. Evolves. And, but it's like, yeah, I mean, you can have an idea though. You can come up with a great idea, but uh, you don't really, and, and you think it's a great idea and everyone should love it. Um, but until yeah. you start seeing a somebody <laughs> actually taking advantage of it, you know, <laughs> and, you know, for me, like with, with my agency in the beginning, I would took just about anything. I would just tried, you know, just uh-huh. whatever, you know, let's, let's do that you know, and, uh-huh, uh-huh, and referrals uh-huh. of any kind and whatever project I'm working on. But as time has gone on, I've been able to narrow down and, and define my, my services better. And, um, and I'm starting to see actually we are uh, of huge value um, to other people where I, in, in the beginning, I, there was services where I was like, oh, you know, some will, I hope somebody can pay, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month for me to do this for. Them. Right, right, right. And then you right. get to the level where it's like, well, they're paying me a several thousand dollars a month. To do right. I found that market, you know? <laughs> so it's like, yeah. that. so it can actually get better too. Like what you, sometimes you kind of um, handicap yourself a little bit and you're thinking like, I, I know who's going to, you know, like I can do this, but, um, you know, I have this idea, this vision for this, but then all of a sudden it becomes better too. So hopefully the successes can come too. You fit. You're going to fail along the way. You're going to try something and it's like, okay, that didn't work. You didn't get the client or you didn't do whatever. But right. then you get that one that worked. And yeah, so it's, right. it's not really failure. It's, it's you, are, you are scoping out some element of your service mm-hmm. or you are scoping out some element of your product. I heard once someone tell me that you uh, people express their values with this with the stuff that they buy and so that's why a branded t-shirt might cost four times just the logo would cost four times yeah. more than than a, a unbranded one non-branded one so uh, so at times people would want to like if you underprice yourself at times, it is a, uh, it is considered as uh, people look for failings or, uh, or they attribute uh, lack of quality sure. to a lower priced product. Sure, and, and this happens a lot in, in a digital world. If you're selling eBooks right. or whatever you're selling, exactly, uh, um, you can give a re- ten-page report away. And people, you know, okay, it's, it's, you know, they won't, but they won't appreciate it as much, but you can turn around and sell that same report for 49 bucks or something. And suddenly they're spending suddenly a lot of time and they're going to be more focused on it. Like this is, whoa, this is high value. Right. Um, right. And they're, if just because he's charging for it, it must have right. a higher value. A higher value. Exactly. Yeah. 
this weird perception. Right. Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So it, I mean, people go online, you, you'll see a lot of people talking about, you know, charge more, charge more, but charge it's, more. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. Yeah. I, I started out, um, you know, years ago when I first started freelancing as a web developer, you know, uh-huh. I, I way underpriced myself. I mean, I kind of justified uh-huh. it back then. Cause I'm like, I need to, I don't have the experience and, you know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. know uh-huh. how to be charging more, you know, but, uh-huh. but, um, but yeah, but it's always something you think about. It's like, you're, you're actually probably could charge more right now than you know, you could, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, you, in the beginning at the same time, like, like, like even when I started this agency in the beginning, I, I lowballed a lot of stuff just to get something going. But then I would uh-huh. use that as leverage to the next job. I'm going to charge a little bit more and stuff like that. There's all these. Correct. And what I think what we should also do is when we are undercharging, we, uh, we, we need to be selective as to whom you are providing the service to. If we can gain a review or a testimonial or a referral yeah. from that from that client, then undercharging does not remain a loss like under revenue, sure. but it becomes an investment. Oh, for sure. So yeah. well, it I mean, it yeah. is an investment for more revenue later on. Yeah, I mean, you, and, that's what you're going to leverage in the beginning. It's like you want you got to get something going. You got to get the experience and get people talking about what you're doing. And Correct. referrals and stuff, but you know you may have to right. start out lower. Yeah. So, sure. so it it we don't normally talk about this with our with our prospects that okay I will charge you less, but you have to give me a video testimonial at the end of. It. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, then that becomes uh, valuable enough for. Well, that's why a lot of people will, that's what a lot of, uh, a lot of marketers do online. You know, they um, will have these launches or these real, really good deals and to their list, I mean, their existing list or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they're just using, doing that. Well, number one, to make some quick money, I guess, but, and to test it, but test um, it, right. Right. But also uh, from that, they can ask for testimonials, they can get Mm -hmm. feedback and, and um, just get it out there and, and people are going to buy it more, more have to buy it because it's, because uh, it's a great deal. Because in mm-hmm. a month, it's going to be three hundred mm-hmm. times more money mm-hmm. is today. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of ways to, to kind of do that. But that's interesting. So I am uh, I'm going to look at uh, I got a couple notes here, and uh, I want to see. We're having a great conversation. I, I feel like there's a lot of things we could talk, especially having gone through some of your articles and the things you're talk you you talk about. There's like so much to unpack. Um, yeah, that's my challenge. Branch the service, branch mm-hmm. the surface. But like this idea, we're talking about. You're talking about business. Like you're talking about business models. Um, how? So my question for you is: you, There's a business model, and then there's. I think there's a business plan, right? What is the difference mm-hmm. between the business model and business plan? Is there? So in a in a very simple way, business uh, model is a subset of the business plan. Okay. Uh, business model is. Um, is a is the uh, how you make money is the business plan. What makes money is the business model. Gotcha. Okay. So if you have like a, a coffee shop, then what are the things that you need to set up that coffee shop is the business model, and whether 
and how we will make money out of that coffee shop in a year in two years is the business plan okay so it's the operating the implementation or the operationalizing of the model is the plan so the car is the model the road trip is the plan gotcha okay that's interesting yeah so. other things we're talking about here too and, and you, you know having talked to dolan dolan i think touched on this in our in our conversation is uh that you there's such a thing as like with a business plan you spend all this time creating this business plan you're thinking out five years ten years and it's like but you're not thinking about you know short term this i feel like we our discussion today was a little bit more about the short term like testing an idea and stuff like that you know you're just you know forget forget five years from now or 10 years from now i mean you can have this kind of like i have this kind of general vision of my business in 10 years but then i try to forget about it and it's like i just focus uh-huh. on like you know what's my next step in, in my growth and looking what's in front of me um so i as i kind of like uh kind of our discussion today around that now there's different components to to your this business model and we touched on a few but there's many mm-hmm. more so there are so if i the simplest way of of looking at a business model is to ask the who where the the who whom am i selling to mm-hmm. what is the what like why will they buy um how will i deliver and what keeps me in business um the that's a shortened way of looking at it uh, another way of looking at uh, a business model is to to define the desirability of the products and service the feasibility of of being able to produce that mm-hmm. and the viability the financial viability of the whole setup right now if i break it down into i i break it down into the nine elements of the business model canvas which mm-hmm. becomes nine questions actually yeah which is what are you selling whom are you selling it to how do you reach them how do you maintain relationships with them what resources do you need what activities or processes at a high level do you need to uh, execute who are your partners how much does it cost and how do you get paid so the cost and paid are the viability aspect of the business yeah the resources the partner and the activities are the feasibility component of your business the desirability components is the who you are who you are selling it to what you are why will they buy how will you reach them and how do you maintain relations are the the desirability component of the business yeah. and you can and that's why i said that i needed a framework which was simple mm-hmm. yet could you could go on deeper right uh, the thing to rem- remember about a business model like when you say go in deeper i have been often asked the question where do you stop like how deep do you go when defining a business model when it comes to workflow or who does what when those are not components of a business model those are implementation of the idea into the physical world hmm. that's company building yeah that's organization structure 
that's role definition um anything which is temporal which is a time driven uh profit and loss etc uh, statements for first year second year that goes into the realm of company building and then business planning rather than the business modeling all right yeah i mean there's there's so much like there's so many things like you've said or even what you just said there it's like oh we dive right into that like that you know. yeah we could <laughs> right and i think this this whole thing of how, what is the planning horizon yeah. uh, in itself uh, we could we could spend some time on it well i think uh, well, i think a lot of this too is i think i don't think this uh, a lot of people think about this i mean I, i guess it depends on the type of business you know maybe there's certain businesses where you have to you have no choice uh-huh. um, just by their nature and design but like for my business there's not a lot of investment to just get started so that's that's what kind of it's a low low entry like kind of you know mm-hmm. just start mm-hmm. hunting for some business or so get we don't need correct. to invest in office space or all that other stuff you know um or maybe a little but uh but yeah there's so there's just so many so many things to get into then you said mentioned at one point you said something about fail fast and then fail fast has been this in, in ingrained thing with me for 20 years working online you know that's been a thing that a lot of people try, you know talk about failing fast and what that all means that's a whole another topic so uh we're, we're going to Yeah most of my training is most of my background sort of reb, like is very resistant to that idea yeah. because i come from that corporate background and, and, sure, and yeah. like it's like you you there the whole thing is that once you commit there's no looking back and then there's no failing yeah so yeah. and uh, Toyota for example has 20 year plans. Jeez. And once they commit to it they commit. Like they're, I I it's a, it's a very different the Japanese have this very different mindset and and, and that's a that's a very different conversation in itself. Yeah, I mean well well and that's the agility of though of not being this huge bureaucratic kind of giant corporation is you have that agility to be able to test something real quick like it didn't work let's move to another thing and you just have these concept okay. ideas and thing you're trying even in in my agency I'm always trying like okay or or trying to do marketing social media it's like okay let's do this for a little bit that's not working let's do this over mm-hmm. here let's, mm-hmm. let's try this platform let's do you know it can be applied to so many different things and that's why it is i think so difficult for the IBM and GEs of the world to to flip on a dime like yeah. the Lugras oh, yeah. Gasna Brokers of making an elephant dance it's it's a it's a real challenge of of making elephants dance and that's yeah. and that's on that scale i mean i even think like sometimes even a small business can can feel like you're trying to turn the the titanic sometimes correct correct once correct. you get established and you're doing your thing now it's like well we can take a little bit of risk but we, right. we're we're just going to stay the course you know where if we do turn yeah. it's going to take us like a, a year to you know even think about that yeah. but um yeah it's it's interesting well i like i said i'd love to talk to you like forever like forever. <laughs> Um, we look or, forward to have another conversation sometime. Yeah, I mean like even Dolan and and uh, the other you know uh, Danielle and Ryan were all like this can be a regular thing. We'll just uh, we'll have our regulars uh right builders podcast but you know so if if somebody wants to find you online they want to uh they look you up on social media or find your website where do they find you so obviously obligent.com is my is my website uh i i think uh i am i have spent a bit more time on my profile on alignable 
so if someone goes to alignable.com and and look and searches for abridged consulting they'll find me so the origin story and and what we what i do i think uh, i have it over there mm-hmm. uh, linkedin um uh, you can anyone can also look up abridged consulting on linkedin and eventually find their way to my my profile yeah. so but mostly uh, uh, linkedin and and alignable are the places where i think they can go to mm-hmm. i need to spend more time on my website and and i think <laughs> that's a conversation that's a matro more conversation <laughs> to be done <laughs> to be entered into offline but it's, uh, it, yeah it's it's tough to work on your own stuff sometimes it's even yeah. us it's like i like i try to do it a little at a time and it, you know there's probably yeah. bugs on there it's like if somebody actually looked at some of our stuff we're doing it's like well i don't know if we want him as a web developer but it's like because yeah. i'm focused more on the client sites so um, the question i asked like the when when i hear about such things i ask like how many doctors treat themselves right <laughs> the answer is zero right? Right. <laughs> it's the same right. thing like the yeah. doctors don't treat themselves yeah. uh, <laughs> that's that's easy for people to accept but they, it's not easy for them to accept that a consultants don't consult on themselves right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you should know it all right <laughs> yeah <laughs> you got to worry about yeah so I'll, and in the show notes too I'll have uh links to those couple articles that you sent me I thought those were great yeah really those those would be very relevant too yeah, yes for sure yeah. all right well it was great talking to you shomo thank you thanks pat and and uh, all the all the best for uh, for the podcast series and and i look forward to not repeat conversations with with you but the other guests and your own pieces that you have well all i can say is wow what a great conversation what a great guy what a wow the just the history he has and the companies he's worked with with and everything he must have experienced and learned over the years uh, working for all those different companies all over the world it's just it's amazing it's there's so much you can extract from somebody like that in terms of just you know them helping you with your business uh, whether that's just through a conversation like this or whatever but if you are interested in consulting you know check out definitely check out his website um, he's definitely somebody worth talking to but anyway that's the uh, that's all for today's episode i hope you enjoyed it If you want to comment on this podcast or provide me with requests and topics for future episodes, please find your way to mattlevenhagen.com. You can add a comment under these show notes. You may know I also run a web design agency. We build custom WordPress themes, features, manage or maintain websites, and also run WordPress theme marketplace called Hexeter. If you're interested in theme, pre-built or custom, or are looking for an agency to work with as a partner to build awesome sites for your clients, Feel free to reach out to me either at mattlevenhagen.com or unifiedwebdesign.com, my agency site. Each have a handy, dandy contact me link at the top. Fill out that form and it will open a ticket and that ticket will find its way to me. Thanks for joining me today. We will see you next time.